Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast. This week, Steve and Elijah will catch up on some reviews and get you all the co-op news. Welcome to Co-op Cast. My name is Steve. And I'm Elijah. And in this week's episode... We're going to cover some news, and then we're going to take a break from reviewing games and instead discuss methods of how to represent a character or avatar with a deck of cards. And with that said, let's have a quick chit-chat. And Elijah, what have you been up to lately? So I got a new game, Western Legends. It is a not a co-op game. It has a Western theme and uh, had a lot of fun with that game. We also got together and played some Gloomhaven. Yeah, we had one of our local friends here, uh, Steve and last initial case, I'm his mind, so it makes it really confusing when communicating at the table. Steve, it's your turn. Wait, wait, which Steve? So, Steve and Steve. <laughs> yep. Can't go by initials either. It doesn't help. So, But anyway, he came over, and we played Gloomhaven with him and his wife, and it was Elijah and I, so it was a four-player game. And it was the first time both uh, St- the other Steve and his wife played Gloomhaven. It was a lot of fun. And so we played a random scenario from the book, and... Yeah, we had a lot of fun playing that game. It wound up being a pretty tight game, too, where uh, I played the Brute and almost didn't make it to the end. So, <laughs> Yeah, there were definitely questions raised about your ability to contribute to the team, I think, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was just supposed to run in there with a bunch of enemies and just take hits, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm long resting again, Steve? Again? Like, Got to burn a card again? But to be fair, you were basically the pillow cushion, so uh, that worked out really well, actually, for the rest of us. No, it was a fun game. Always fun playing Gloomhaven. Yeah, so in addition to Gloomhaven, I've also been playing some Street Masters. Man, I just love that game so much. It's so much fun to explore different characters and different settings. And Elijah and I had a particularly fun one where we played with a kind of a factory setting where there's conveyor belts and these buzz blades. And so we decided it'd be fun to go up against the cartel and choose characters that can manipulate other characters on the board. So we chose like some mind control people who can you know, subtly suggest to them that they should jump into the spinning blades of death. So it was quite fun. It was really awesome. So it kind of felt uh, like a Quentin Tarantino film. If you can kind of put that in your head, there was just body parts flying and blades cutting up. It was just, it was amazing. A lot of fun. (laughs) So yeah, that's what we've been up to. Let's jump into some news. The news this week is going to be a little light as we have two solo games on Kickstarter I'll mention. First game we'll mention on Kickstarter is Age of Civilization, the pocket-sized Civ game. So Age of Civilization is a one to four player game. It's primarily a competitive game, but I'm mentioning it here because it does have a solo mode and it plays in about 30 minutes. So you'll be choosing different civilizations and moving along this track that has a little bunch of different technologies listed. Try and achieve the most points. It's got this interesting shifting track with, as the rounds go on different technologies will become available and will deplete or not become available as time goes on. So you really have to plan ahead for that. And you can have different civilizations that have their own powers, but as you gain new civilizations, you can choose to replace and append powers to that. So you can really develop some interesting combos that way. It also comes with some tech boards. You can level up your tech if you want. And I do have a copy of this game, and we'll be putting up a playthrough on our YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, in the near future. So be on the lookout for that. And I actually had a chance to play this game, and uh, for what it is, it was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed the time spent on it. So that game was Age of Civilization, the pocket-sized Civ game. It's currently funded, and the campaign will end April 19th. 
The next game we'll mention on Kickstarter is actually a return to Kickstarter, and that is Ghost Star, a solo board game you won't want to play alone. Now, if you remember from our previous episode, we already mentioned this game, and it was taken down to make some adjustments, and now it's back on Kickstarter. In this game, you're playing as a captain traveling to the Ghost Star, which is a mysterious space station, where you'll be fighting against aliens and battling for your sanity, as well as your, your colleague, Colonel Lighthizer. So your goal is to defeat the guards and the dimensional gate and free everyone and save the universe. So this is only a solo game. It's got some pretty awesome artwork. Seems pretty thematic as well. One interesting thing this Kickstarter campaign is doing is it's reaching out to the backers and asking them to send in their nightmares so they can actually incorporate their nightmares into this game. So this is looking to be a sci-fi psychological thriller type game. This this one gives me a little bit of the uh, Nemesis vibe, Steve. Kind of that uh, alien entities in space. Very cool vibe going on here. Very cool theme. I would encourage potential backers to go out to uh, Board Game Geek and take a look at the forums there. And uh, there seems to be some pretty lively discussion. And that's going to wrap up our news segment for this week. Let's move on to our discussion topic. So we thought we'd take a break from reviewing games this week. Instead, focus on a mechanic in games. And since we've been playing a lot of Maximum Apocalypse and Street Masters, we thought we'd talk about ways games represent characters or avatars with a deck of cards. And so we're calling these player deck build types. And from our discussion back and forth, we seem to find uh, some consistency in games, and really, they fall under three categories. So the first one is pre-made decks, and this is where you sort of have a deck that's already constructed for you. The second type would be deck building in the game, where as you're playing the game, um, your deck ebbs and, ebbs and flows. And then the last one is deck building outside of the game, where you sort of do construct the deck up front before you start playing the game. So some examples of the pre-made deck, where you just grab a deck and start playing it. We've, I've already mentioned like Maximum Apocalypse is a good example of one, where in that game, there you, you choose what character you want to play, and you literally just grab that deck, shuffle up, and start playing. It also is found in Sentinels of the Multiverse, where you're playing a superhero game, same effect. Grab a deck of cards, shuffle up, and start playing. And uh, Street Masters. And how about Gloomhaven, Steve? I think that's one that we would consider sort of a pre-made deck. Um, as you open your character box, you have a deck of cards, right? That's correct. Yep, I would, I would agree with that. And uh, Gloomhaven is a good example to bring up because it's while it's not exclusively a pre-made deck, because you do switch cards in and out, so it's not really, I don't know. It's hard to say it's deck building at the same time. It's kind of a weird hybrid, but I say predominantly it would be a pre-made deck. Yeah, and this is interesting because um, with Gloomhaven, it doesn't really fall under deck building in game. You're really not adding or removing cards, and you have a little bit of deck building outside of the game, but only in the sense that you can bring so many cards to battle. And so, you know, you might pick a couple, but for the most part, you know, you're not really shopping, right, from a huge list of cards to define what you're bringing in. So we fit this one squarely in the pre-made deck. And there'll be other examples like this that don't necessarily fall cleanly into one of these categories or other games we just don't even mention this podcast, I'm sure. So there's lots of examples of this out there. Yeah, and another one here, uh, Steve, is Nemesis, where based on the character type you're playing, you have a deck of cards that you will be bringing into um, the spaceship, as it were, and um, using them to sort of take your actions and move about the ship. So in all these games, the, the main concept is to have a unique deck that helps define that character, helps to thematically tie it to that character. So I know that this character in this game 
is supposed to have these special powers or this feature or characteristic based on the thematic description. And hopefully in the game, they do have cards that represent that. So one thing I love about these types of games, Steve, is they're approachable. Um, Maximum Apocalypse, it's like if you want to sit down and play or Street Fighters, this is a Street Masters, this is a really good one too. Like, who do I want to be? Oh, super cool, mind control person, or let me be the priest, or you know what? I'm feeling the ranger. And it really allows for that. It's very approachable, especially for if you just want to sit down and, and not have a thinky game, a thinky pregame, I guess I'll call it, where you just kind of want to shop from what's available. It also allows uh, players to really work off each other. So I think you could agree on this one, Steve, with uh, the last round, of, like as you mentioned in our intro, the Street Masters. Yeah, I think one thing, the pre-made decks or the pre-constructed decks, we just grab one and go. One thing they do really well is it you can really define that character or avatar you're playing as in the game. Like I said earlier, like you can have specific cards that tie in mechanically to the game to represent those thematic connections. It makes it really fun. So when we're playing a lot of these games, it makes it really fun to like grab, hey, I'm going to grab a guy that does a lot of damage because that's I know what cards do is thematically does. And I'll grab a, more of a support character that doesn't necessarily do that, but how the cards play out it makes it really fun to see how those combinations of characters interact with each other yeah and how cool is it steve when you're like uh, i don't know i'll use the priest again i'm just thinking of his holy cross and, and some of the thematic events we had at maximum apocalypse where you know boom here comes the priest with his i don't know holy water or whatever it was just so thematic it feels so cool and then the synergies that you could have with these pre-made decks working off each other um gloomhaven i think is another example where you know generally going to want your kind of um tanky character i mean it's not doesn't fit the true mold of say dungeon but um nemesis is also another one where you have say the captain you know he's generally a more support character uh and then a soldier right he's just running around and taking down stuff so for me i love the approachability of these games I, just real quick as well I'll mention i think it's easy to get people into these games steve would you agree with that like uh, family or friends that maybe aren't hobby board gamers i would say generally that's true with one exception and this is one of the cons i think for this pre-made deck there's a discrepancy in player experience because these are all set decks. If you played the game before, you know what's in that deck. You know how that character kind of plays. You've got this, I don't know, a, a level of experience that newer players don't have. Now, in a cooperative game, it's really not that big of a deal because you're all on the same team anyway. I mean, I don't think people get upset that someone knows this character way better than someone else. I mean, that's probably a pro, if anything. But in a competitive game, I do find that is a problem. I have some other games... We haven't mentioned like uh, one game called Yomi, which is kind of a one v one fighting game. And in that game, you have a distinct advantage if you know the character up front when you're playing against your opponent. So there's this like this learning curve that needs to be achieved on some of these pre-made deck games. Yeah, and I would agree, Steve. So you know you have the game owner right might invite friends over, but because they played it so much, you kind of come in at a disadvantage where like I don't get how this character synergizes or my cards work together, and it can end up creating a sort of an unfun experience. Um, you know, one thing as well with pre-made decks is you're kind of limited. So if you're the priest, you're the priest. If you're the ranger, you're the ranger. If you're the soldier, that's kind of your role. So generally, depending on the game, but for the most part with pre-made decks, there isn't a lot of actual sort of cards in your deck that change what you're doing. 
that might come from some sort of uh, external mechanic right in the game so hey I'm gonna grab the flamethrower I'm gonna upgrade my pistol to shoot uh, laser sights and things like that but for the most part you're fitting your archetype right that that character deck has been made for you and that's generally what you're going to be uh, playing right that's the feel for your uh, session if you have to pull it, grab a character that is particularly bad at the given enemy slash scenario you're playing well then unfortunately you're gonna be struggling the whole game because you really can't customize how that character acts Maybe you can still find some loopholes or ways to work around it, maybe like the additional challenge, but that could be a, a slight negative as well. Agreed, and I think this actually happened with um, some scenarios that we played where pulled out, uh, was it Maxima? Uh, might have been Maxima Apocalypse, where we pulled out vampires and realized, uh, I think the priest would be a good fit here. And so, and I think your go-to character was uh, the surgeon, I want to say. And so, you know, again, kind of highlighting that limited customization, knowing surgeon's really cool, but probably not really good for undead. And so, you know, it was fine. You just, we still had fun playing, but um, I think that highlights kind of one sort of caveat with pre-made decks is that limited customization. It's going to come externally. You're going to get the synergy off other characters, but for the most part, it does represent sort of, you know, who you are. So let's talk about the other type of representing a character or avatar in a board game with a deck of cards, and that is deck building in the game. So refresher real quick is we'll talk about having a standard deck that basically everyone starts with the same number, same type of cards, same number of cards. And as you play the game, you will be adding and removing cards from that deck to customize your character or team, however you play as. So some examples of that is Aeon's End is a great deck building game where you're playing as a mage trying to defend a city from a big boss. And so you start with the same deck of cards and you will be learning spells and grabbing relics to take down the boss. Another one that's very popular is Mage Knight. And this one, while it's strictly not a deck building game, because it has a lot more to it than, than that, it does have a deck building element to it where you are playing as a mage, of course, traveling along a world and learning new spells and abilities to uh, achieve different scenarios. Steve, talk to me about Legendary. I believe this one fits squarely in the deck building in game, a very popular game, obviously, with uh, Marvel characters in sort of in the superhero universe. And I think you may have a problem with this game. Like, as in a collection, I need to own everything. You want to talk a little bit about that? This, is, this could be therapeutic here, Steve. This could be therapeutic. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Marvel Legendary is one of those games that gets to the table a lot for me. It's one of my wife's favorite games, so we play it a lot. And it kind of fits in this category, but kind of doesn't. Because while you are definitely building a deck in the game, for sure, and it is a deck building game, it doesn't necessarily represent a character or avatar. And it's not really clear in the game what it does represent. As when my wife and I play, we do tend to pick a couple of heroes in the game, and we tend to stick with those heroes. So we don't we maybe dabble in some other heroes, but we tend to have a, a, a pair of heroes we play as in that game. So that helps us really feel the thematic in that sense. It's a lot easier to do that in a two-player game. When you go up to higher player counts, it's a little bit harder to do, do that. So I put that as a question mark on here. It kind of works, kind of doesn't. But of course, we have different legendary games out there, like the encounter games, like Aliens, where you are playing as an avatar. You actually have an avatar character, which has its own health values. And you are building a deck, and this way it gets a little more abstract, of various other characters to help out the avatar you're playing. So that's a little weird one to discuss. And I think it kind of falls in here and kind of doesn't. But I felt like it was worth mentioning. Yeah, definitely. Similar to that, another game, and this isn't a co-op, but it does have a great solo mode, is Baseball Highlights 2045. 
So this game, you are playing as a baseball team. The cards you recruit are the baseball players to add to your roster. And in this game, you don't actually increase the deck size at all because that is your full roster of your team. But yeah, it works pretty well. You don't get a, the sense of being a character in that game, but you do get a good sense of being a team manager, a team owner. Another one that fits in this category is Friday. So it's a very small box solo player uh, deck building game where you're um, basically on an island and encountering various uh, challenges and difficulties and you have this overarching sort of uh, mission or, or goal you're trying to accomplish. And that one is also one that throughout the game, you're not really represented necessarily, I guess you, the player, are representing sort of the character in that game, but through the deck of cards, you're kind of uh, becoming stronger or dumber or different things. And so kind of that also fits into this uh, category or type. With these games, one obvious pro is the ability to customize and explore different options to represent that character avatar. You really have a wide gambit of options to to add to this character or make it your own yeah i would agree um one thing i don't like and so um this is spoilers for all of our listeners i am actually not a huge fan of deck building games <gasps> <laughs> say, say it isn't so get your pitchforks get your torches Look at a new, uh, co-host uh, that's now. right <laughs> yeah um i'm on the way out here folks so nice knowing you um I, so then this is my biggest con with deck building is I, and again, this is just my opinion, this is a personal feeling, is there, it's too abstract based on the cards that you end up taking or sort of dumping and getting rid of. And so for me personally, I have a really strong sense of character attachment when I play. And so I'd love to almost even role play and sort of have that thematic attachment, you know, and, and feel. And so for me, deck building... Uh, it's just a little too, it starts to break some of that thematic um, because as you're sort of playing, right, and this is kind of why I don't like it. So as you're playing, you're kind of pulling cards into your deck and you're getting rid of other cards. And so like, for example, you might have a, I don't know, a super uppercut, right? And then it's like later you want to take this other card. And so like, well, I guess I'm not going to super uppercut anymore. And all of a sudden I don't feel like a fighter. I feel like I'm playing a mecha- I'm the mechanics. And I feel like I'm playing for poker, a best hand or sort of, and so all of a sudden it just really takes me out of that sort of thematic. And I know it sounds kind of weird, but um, I just, I don't like that about deck building games. That It's kind of abstract. Um, so, you know, and you also have this with shop, shop, shopping, shop decks, you know, where, hey, which one do I want to buy or take? And how about you take this one? By their very nature, how they're represented, Steve, I think you might agree that there is some abstraction that happens, right? To be able to flex and fit sort of the way that that game is, is building out. Would you agree? I agree completely. And this was also one of the cons I was thinking about for this category. It's just really hard to associate to one character or avatar because you have this wide gambit of options. Because you can make it your own or customize it however you want. And you don't feel like, I am this guy. I am always going to be this guy that can do the upcut. I'm with the guy that can, can fly or whatever it happens to be. Because you can customize it to be something different, it makes it kind of fun. You can explore different options. But you also have that abstraction in that thematic disconnect. And I think this unfortunate part of the system when, when you open up the gambit of options. Yeah, and, and for me, it's, uh, you know, again, just disconnect. I think when you have like, a, hey, I'm a soldier, and I'm going to upgrade and get a full auto clip. Like, you know, if we jump to Nemesis real quick, you know, and I'm the, sur- you, know, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, whoever else, um, you know, if you take a look at the Ranger in uh, Maximum Apocalypse, being able to fish, I mean, that makes sense thematically. And so I think when you have cards that are a little bit more generic and can flex and fit, 
they're used a little bit in Nemesis with the Scavage deck, for example, binoculars and things like that, but it's just too abstract for me. I think one thing that's really cool in deck building, so uh, for sure all the games that you had mentioned, was the power scale and the customization. So, like, you know, again, going back to, I'm going to upgrade this punch to, like, a super uppercut, and it's just, like, holy awesome, right? So you can sort of curtail your deck or purge your deck of kind of what I'll call junk cards and you can kind of upgrade and get better and so you just feel really really cool and it allows you to customize right so also um, and I don't know Steve what you, how you, if you would agree there but also I think too depending on how the game is being played out for example wow we're really starving a lot or we really need some healing you can start to customize your deck in that way and you can start to move your character with the cards that are available toward you know in that direction to be able to kind of tailor how that game is unfolding. That's correct. Yeah, unlike the pre-made deck where you may be stuck in a situation where your character isn't as useful in that scenario. Obviously, with a deck building game, assuming the cards are available, you can customize it and flex your character to be supportive in whatever scenario you're facing. That's a great point. And yes, I agree. Part of the fun in the game is definitely the power scale and starting out pretty weak and getting more powerful. But at the same time, I don't think that's unique to this category of games and deck building in games. So I do feel some of that in the pre-made decks. I think the difference, though, is with a pre-made deck, uh, depends on how you approach it from a design aspect, those tend to be much more controlled than what the power ceiling is going to be. And with a deck-building game like this, where you do it within the game, you may not necessarily know what combination of cards you can have out, and it may change what that power ceiling is from game to game. Yeah, I would agree. So you look at Gloomhaven, as you level up, it's a pre-made deck. But once you level up, you're going to go back and, you know, shop from the higher level cards. And that's going to feel super cool. But as you as you mentioned, that that power cap is going to be smaller than, say, Legendary or some of these other games where, like, Baseball Highlights, you know, you might be able to really scale. And so I, I, I would agree in that regard. It's also a little bit difficult because you have this wide gambit of options. If you had something to associate yourself to that character up front that really helps a lot and i want to point out aeon zen because i think it does do a pretty good job at this not because you can buy cards for your deck of course but you can also use the currency in the game to power up your special ability and you always have that special ability that power so you do have a, a small sense of that uh, thematic connection in that regards but still have the options of what spells you go for so I think that one actually did a decent job in this type, this category. And so now we'll circle back to the last type, deck building outside of the game. Some examples of this would be the Warfighter uh, series by uh, Dan Burson Games, DVG Games. Basically a war kind of game where you're constructing your sort of squad and your cat, your units outside of the game. Obviously, another one that was talked about in a previous uh, podcast was the Arkham Horror living card game. So this is another one that, you know, you're sort of, you can't play this game. You can't open the box and pick a deck, right? There's no ranger. There's no investigator. It's, you have to build that deck, right? In order, you have to build that character. And there's no, there's limited what I would call deck building in-game. The deck building in that in Arkham Horror, the living card game, happens in between sessions when you've had a resolution in the scenario you're playing, right, and you're earning experience. Um, but for the most part, that it's really outside of the game. You know, both of these I think really fit the uh, that kind of genre. And Steve, I'll turn it over to you. I know there's a one you love that fits into this uh, uh, type. Yeah, of course. Lord of the Rings Living Card Game. You guys have heard me mention <laughs> this game a lot in the past, and you'll probably continue hearing it in the future because it is one of those games for me. I love it. 
It's a little bit different though, in the sense that you aren't playing as a single character or avatar. You're playing as a team of usually three heroes and avatars in the game. So like another level of abstraction there, I think, Steve. Right? Or would you Well, agree? kind of. In in Lord of the Rings, it's all about the fellowship, right? The, how the characters sure. help each other. So it, I think it makes thematic sense in that game to play multiple heroes. Gotcha. You're bringing along a, your party as opposed to a single player. Exactly. Or character. Yep. Okay. So with this deck building outside the game a lot of people do want to call this deck construction as well so just to eliminate any confusion we may want to be using that term for this category as well but honestly you just in any case you're still creating a deck yeah and i think the the overlap here is if you say deck building right technically you are building the deck but what would you call say to aeon's end and baseball highlights and legendary that's really you're building your deck and so we you know like you said mentioned steve i think deck construction does make kind of um does fit here but i think there's you know this is like getting into the minutiae obviously for me one thing this type of game is complete control so if you're like steve and you're a control freak um, <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say <laughs> i'm saying you make me say what i'm saying on the podcast exactly <laughs> dance puppet dance <laughs> So this is like you really love the minutiae of that complete control. So, and again, it depends on the game, right? So if we look at even Arkham Horror Living Card Game versus Lord of the Rings, even with that, right, complete control, that's not necessarily the case in Arkham because you can only bring cards from the character archetype. But when I say complete control, I mean, you know, you're not just going to the shelf and picking a character, you're sort of defining. So that's certainly Warfighter, right? You're picking your squad and your captain, however you want to lay them out. Um, and so this is huge for sort of, I really want to get into the minutia of the game and sort of work with what the designer and the you know has given me and kind of come up with this very customizable um, you know experience, really. So um, I think it fits well for people like you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really like this, exploring the options of the game and what we can do and flex to. It makes it really fun. The complete control is a good point because unlike the other forms of build types we've discussed in this podcast, the first one, you have no control. It's done. All the work's done for you. You just grab deck and go. And then with the deck building within the game, that one's a little bit different because the cards you can choose to add to deck aren't always up for your choice. Now I say that with a little bit of caveat because you could choose what cards will be in the market. In some of those games, the market doesn't change. So you know you can always have access to cards. Other games, you mix up the market and you have random items or options coming out from that market deck. So in that case, you do have a little bit more control, but the options available to you in that game are defined by that market. But with this type of game where you're building something outside the game, you have the entire card pool at your disposal, wherever the card pool happens to be at that time, of course, and what your collection uh, supports. And so you have a lot of tools at your disposal to add to that deck with caveats on how to actually build that deck. You're limited to what cards you can add in Arkham Horror to your character class in that game. Similarly, in Lord of the Rings, you have spheres. And so each hero can normally support one sphere, the sphere they match to, but you're able to add cards in that to maybe extend what spheres you can support within your deck so one pro i like to this game a lot is the fact that it opens up the breadth of options you can do to build this deck but it also limits it at the same time 
to keep it thematically appropriate. For example, there are cards in Lord of the Rings, like Gandalf's staff, where you can only give it to Gandalf. It makes perfect sense. Like, you wouldn't want to put that in a Hobbit deck, necessarily have Frodo running around, running around with Gandalf's staff, or, I don't know, maybe you do, like, Chaos in your game. So, but as the game is designed, it only allows Gandalf to use it. Or, for example, in Arkham Horror, these characters' classes are restricted to certain uh, card types. Yeah, so, for example, you have the Guardian class you have the seeker class the mystic survivor and rogue so each one sort of represents a different feel uh, you know the rogues represent more sneak attacks and, and gathering and, and the guardian is definitely going to be more your tanky combat and sort of that so when you construct your character you're limited to that pool but that's great right because like you said that's going to create that thematic connection and you're not going to be like a guardian who's this kind of more tanky support person running around like with magic and like the mystic class you can pull in a couple cards but for the most part you're going to fit uh, fit your um that uh, that class and I, I really like how the games implement that you know the variety so warfighter how it does it versus arkham and, and lord of the rings certainly there's many other um, types here one thing steve that sort of i'll just throw out here is the commitment for deck construction deck building games outside of the game is in my opinion sort of the biggest con so there's a big commitment here to being able to play this type of game i mean it works really well um in both ways so for people like steve who have control issues <laughs> it, it's it's awesome right because you sit down and it's like wow super cool i'm gonna build this person i'm gonna build this deck i'm really gonna br build bring my squad exactly for what i'm i'm doing but it's also a commitment up front and so this can require time you know effort and mental energy sort of resource sometimes table you need table space sometimes to lay all these out a lot of people will use online resources to kind of help them uh, but certainly this is not something you're going to break out at christmas and say hey guys let's pick this i mean you would have to teach the game they'd have to learn it and understand so it really helps here where you can have sort of pre-made decks for people to play and tell them hey this is going to generally feel more like this kind of lowers that barrier for people being able to jump in but these games i think have a big commitment steve i agree completely there's a lot of um, pre-game work, I call it, for this, that you need to sit down and really know what goal you have in mind, what options you have available to you. And oftentimes, I hear, I hear this a lot in Lord of the Rings, actually, is the card pool, because this game is so old, has is so big, it's very overwhelming at this point. Granted, you don't have to look at the whole card pool when building a deck and constructing your, your concepts there. Uh, you can limit yourself and still make a good deck that way. But obviously, everyone wants to build the best deck possible, so they want that option. Uh, it just takes a lot of effort to learn that and, and understand the minutiae in that game. Now, the rewards are definitely there if you go through it with it, but it's not a game that, like you said, regular Christmas with family, say, okay, let me build your deck real quick and make this work. And it while you can do that, it just doesn't, it's not really designed that way. It's, hard, it's a harder experience. You really need to commit. And these are more quote unquote lifestyle games where the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. Yeah, I would agree. And Netrunner, in my mind, I know it's not co-op, but I'll mention it here that um, it falls in my mind squarely in this uh, realm that it is a lifestyle game. You really have to spend time and, and there's sort of you have the whole meta of like world championships and things with, um, you know, some of the, these types of games where 
it's all in exactly how that deck is constructed, but of course, obviously how it plays out, right? Because you, you never know the cards that you're going to pull. And sort of like, I know with you, with Lord of the Rings, you can really, right, design your deck to allow you to fish for other cards and sort of, you know, you get that feel. I know in our, when we've played Arkham Horror, right, I've upgraded to, oh, I forget what, a laser gun or something, level five gun. It was just amazing. And it was like, if I hope I get this in my opening hand, and I got it in um, like a second or third card draw, and it was just a like literally one shotting um, monsters, and so so I, I love that. But it, it definitely is a commitment. It's also worth mentioning that most of these games do have lists online, so you can either go onto some online resource or within the rulebook itself, they normally list potential deck builds you can create with the cards at hand. So there's a lot of options that if you don't like to go through and try to figure this out yourself. There's ways you can quickly jump in the game. However, I will mention that one of the big draws to the game is deck building and the deck construction outside the game. That provides a lot of satisfaction when you wind up exploring different concepts and testing out your ideas and seeing them work to fruition or fail in some cases too. So <laughs> I've been known to make decks that do absolutely nothing and fail miserably. So Yeah, and it's actually uh, kind of nice that you mentioned. I know for the Arkham Horror card game, um, Fantasy Flight has a PDF out on their website that lists, I believe, one deck of every character that's been released up to Carcosa, I want to say. What's really cool cool about that is you have the designer publisher right actually telling you kind of like hey here's a deck to try and so those are really fun starting points to see like oh this is cool right and so you're just sort of putting that deck together based on what they've listed i know netrunner kind of actually sold pre-packaged world championship decks and so you could actually go buy the corp and the runner decks from the world championship and kind of play them right with your friends or whoever and so those are that's probably the closest you get and of course you have other online resources where um, people have come up with stuff. I'm sure in Lord of the Rings, there's um, a big community of different deck types and, and, you know, things like that. So that definitely can help, right? But I think you're right that this type thrives for somebody who just really loves to take it to the next level. So hopefully that's a good overview of the different ways you can represent a character or avatar with different deck build types. But now let's, let's talk about which of these we find most enjoyable. What about you, Elijah? Which of these deck build types is your favorite? Well, I can tell you which is my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me personally, deck building outside of the game ranks squarely at the bottom. I do... I guess I just like to get to the table and play. I don't really have a ton of time or, or care to spend a ton of time customizing completely. And I'm also not a big fan of deck builders in general, just too much ebb and flow and thematic disconnect. So for me, I fall into the play pre-made deck type. I can handle complex games, war games and stuff, but uh, I don't know, I just, I love the approachability to them where I can go and just grab a deck and kind of play it. I feel it leaves room for expansions, right? You have different characters that can come out and things. Um, I feel that even though your deck is sort of pre-made, there's still opportunity in each game type that's out there that implements this, that there's a flexibility. So if you look at Maximum Apocalypse with the scavenge cards, sort of the synergy between each other, Gloomhaven with the leveling, Street Masters with the power implementation of when you sort of start, you know, uh, spending your power. So for me, I love pre-made deck the most. It just helps me feel more thematically disconnected and gets back to the roots of what, like for role-playing for me. And so I, I just really love that the best. That's my favorite type. Is there a game in that category that you find most enjoyable? For me personally, I think a game that I've played, been exposed to, own sort of uh, that represents this the best would be Maximum Apocalypse. 
you know, each character feels very different. Each character is viable, right? They all have a strength. They all have a weakness. The synergies between the characters work really, really well. The co-op nature of this game is just so amazing and fun. A variety of the scenarios in there uh, in the game are great. So I love Street, Street Masters. Incidentally, I'm just going to throw this out there. I think Street Masters would work really, really awesome as a superhero game. So I think if that game could be tweaked and sort of, I'd love to play in dumpsters, al or sorry, alleys and warehouses and sort of just, I don't know, like, um, oh, what the heck, Arkham Asylum. Like, I think it would work really well. But for me, I think the uh, Maximum Apocalypse, I just really love how it's done in that in that game. Yeah, one thing you haven't mentioned of Maximum Apocalypse is I think it kind of stands out a little bit compared to other pre-made deck, deck games where the power ceiling, I feel, is pretty high. You. I feel like every character in that game has a potential of doing something really awesome in that game. And you can have it in other games too, but I feel like it's a little bit higher in Max and Apocalypse compared to others. Yep. How about you, Steve? Um, which build type is your favorite? So this is a little bit tough. If I'm looking at the category of like, how do I take a character and avatar and thematically represent in the game? I think my least is deck building in the game. I like mechanically playing those games a lot. I mean, Legendary is one of my most played games and I love superheroes and stuff. It makes it it's fun for me, but I don't always find that thematic connection when I'm playing these types of games. Just because it's an open gambit of options, and there's not a strong connection to the character. I mean, I think like I said earlier, Anzan does probably does it best in this category, but still isn't quite there for me personally. Now, premium decks are really fun. I enjoy that quite a bit. The thematic connection is there for sure. But I think for me personally, this is probably no surprise to people, is the deck building outside the game, like Lord of the Rings and Arkham, I find that the best. Because not only do you have the wide gambit of options you can explore, but you also have that strong thematic connection to where the mechanics of the game dictate, like I said before, uh, certain weapons can only go on certain characters that make thematic sense, or you can only have certain cards in deck that tie in from a strong thematic sense in that as well. So you not only can explore things, but also limits it so you still have that strong thematic connection. I'm not surprised, Steve. Your most played game falls into this category. So I think uh, I kind of had a hunch of uh, what your favorite category would be, favorite type, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Lord of the Rings. I, it's just so much fun, so much ways to explore things. I'm still finding new decks and concepts I haven't explored yet. And I have more than, I'm approaching close to 300 plays at this point. So now, of course, with that comes a large monetary donation to fancy flight to build a card pool <laughs> so hey, we got to keep them employed right? yeah exactly yeah at this point i'm just forwarding <laughs> my my paycheck to them so but yeah it's fun steve how do you get around that sort of pre-game work and and the commitment up front for these types of games in in your in your in your experience like how do you account for that to be able to really enjoy these games or what or what could you kind of what tips could you give to our listeners that if they love this category, right, how could they work that, you know, work around that or sort of allow that to not be a barrier? Yeah, that's a great question. I will say that if you don't aren't interested in doing this pre-work up front, I would not suggest this category of games because I feel like in all these games, that is a significant factor. Granted, I think it's significance of that varies between the games. Like for Lord of the Rings, it's a, it's a huge part of the game. And Arkham, it is still part of the game for sure, and a significant part, but maybe not quite as much Lord of the Rings. For sure, you need to make sure that you're okay with that. So if you're okay with that, what I would recommend is, honestly, going online is a huge resource out there. There's tons of communities built around these games. And oftentimes, there are a lot of 
that concept's posted. So you can grab one of those and start playing immediately without having to worry about that. And the other thing I'll mention that helps a lot is that there is this concept of a progression series that's common in Lord of the Rings living card game. Because the card pool is so big right now, a lot of people just say, okay, I've got just these cards. I know there's more cards out there. I might even, even own those cards, but I'm just going to focus on this small subset of cards and construct a deck around that. It really helps you focus and remove the overwhelming sense of all these options because it can be very overwhelming. I mean, oftentimes when I'm sitting on a billion deck, even though I've played it so long, I still get overwhelmed with like, oh man, I can do this and this. And I wound up starting with deck A and I wound up building deck D at the end because I have so many different iterations as I'm messing around with cards. And then on top of that, as you're playing the game, you wind up learning which cards are good. And it's really hard to get to that barrier. Like, okay, this card's a staple card. This card's good because X, Y, Z. Here's why this card's not so good because on the cost to uh, benefit ratio, it's really not quite on par as these other cards. And that's just going to come with time, unfortunately. But like I said, if you are okay with that and willing to put forth the effort, I feel like the rewards are definitely there. And that's going to wrap up our discussion for player deck build types. We are curious, what is your favorite build type? And if you want to let us know, go ahead and drop us an email at onestopcoopshop at gmail.com or hop into Slack and let us know. So you can join through the link in the show notes and let us know what is your favorite build type. And as always, if you have any upcoming news or games you'd like us to discuss, please let us know and we will do our best to share it with you. So join us next week when Mike and Peter review another game and do a design discussion related to it. And we'll see you at the next stop. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-OpCast, your one stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop. And follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-op Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. And since we've been playing a lot of games like Maximum Apocalypse and Street Fighter, not Street Fighter, oh my gosh, try again. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and so I'm going to jump. Uh, Deck building in game, that's like you love that. That's like your first, that's like your girlfriend, so you, you can do that. <laughs> like, seriously, every single game there, like, I have Friday, that's it, but this is all you, man, so... <laughs> Yeah, you just don't like deck building. It's okay. I yes, I don't even know why I'm on this show for that for this <laughs> segment. I'll just. <laughs>